Welcome to Policed in Ireland, the podcast that seeks to capture the experiences people have with the police. I'm Dr Vicky Conway and I'm passionate about listening to people from all different walks of life about how they experience our police on Garda Síochána. Two minutes later, would you believe it, I walked over to check the door because our side entrance was around the corner from where we used to sit and uh, here was five men dressed in black walking up the street. So that was it, I knew it was them. In early April 2020, just weeks after the COVID lockdown commenced in Ireland, Debenhams Ireland went into liquidation. When the redundancy package offered fell short of negotiations, workers picketed the stores. This week, we speak to Michelle Gavin, a Debenhams worker of over 25 years in Waterford, who was on the picket for over a year. We'll also hear from Michelle Byrne, a union member in Unite, who works full-time in campaigns and who participated in Waterford as a lay member. This episode will raise questions as to the policing of industrial disputes. How, why and when do the police get involved in a lawful dispute between workers and employers? I'm Michelle Gavin. I'm an ex-Debenhams worker. My service at the time I was made redundant was 27 years. Wow. Gosh, that's a long time. It is indeed. What was it like when you were told about the closure? Well, to be honest with you, part of it was a shock and the other part, I suppose, I kind of expected it. I know that sounds silly, but... I kind of felt they'd use it as an excuse and get out as fast as they could. And that's exactly what they did. But nonetheless, after 27 years, it was a horrible way to be told as well. Do you know, I just got a generic email. So, um, yeah, it wasn't nice. You know what I mean? We all had permanent jobs, we thought, and been there so long. You had all your, um, I suppose your life, you know, and all your little bits and pieces that we all take on. And I thought I'd have a job until I decided to leave, I guess. And that's not what happened, unfortunately. So after 27 years working there, first in Roaches, then Debenhams, Michelle was advised by email that her employment was terminated with immediate effect. Oh yeah, it was with immediate effect. Like we finished up on the 23rd of March for a temporary layoff because we had gone into that lockdown. And on the 9th of April, we were just gone. It was gone into liquidation and that was it. Over 1,000 workers were left in this position. Michelle had a long history of involvement in the union. When you joined uh, Roche Say Debenhams, uh, they had a closed shop arrangement. So everybody that went to work in Debenhams, um, that was part of your contract. You were part of the union. But I then became a shop steward. So I was shop steward for a good many years. Being a shop steward is kind of, you're, you're the go-between, the management, I suppose, and the union and the, um, the employees, so to speak. So if an employee has an issue in store with either a manager or supervisor or just in general, the shop steward would be the one that would be the go-between to try and resolve whatever the issue may be, I suppose. I had done it um, many years in Roaches and that, and then I had to give it up for a while because of personal issues. And then I went back to it. So I'd say all in all, I was probably involved in in that part of the union for about 20 years. In that context, Michelle was very involved in the response to the announcement that they were to be laid off. I suppose the union contacted us, yeah, straight away. You know what I mean? Straight away we contacted them, I guess. And then there was the first meeting organised for uh, with Mandate and all the shop stewards as to how we would proceed, you know. We were hoping at that point we'd get our two plus two. Uh, that was our statutory plus our two recognised package. And uh, I can assure you we learned very quickly that wasn't going to happen either. Under statute, employees that have worked for two years are entitled, when made redundant, to two weeks pay for every year of service plus a bonus week's pay. 
employees can sometimes secure what's called enhanced redundancy by way of custom and practice or industry norm. And that can be for anything between two and seven weeks per year. The Debenham workers had an agreement from 2016 reached between Debenham and the trade union mandate of four weeks pay per year service. So they simply sought that agreement to be fulfilled. Debenhams have failed to fulfil that agreement. Uh, no, there wasn't really a negotiation process. Um, the two plus two, we had had an examinership in 2016. And that two plus two was the end result of that. So we just assumed we'd automatically get that when the company closed. But um, at that stage, I suppose the liquidator had taken over and there was no negotiations with him. So we kind of learned quickly enough that you don't get um, paid any enhanced redundancies in a liquidation situation. That must have been a really appalling blow. It was, to be honest with you, Vicky, because, you know, I got half of what I thought I was going to get. You know what I mean? And uh, like I still had my bills to pay. And uh, as I said, I thought to be able to leave when I could so um, that extra two weeks would have made a big difference to everybody. In the face of that, the options for the workers were pretty limited. We decided to put it out for a ballot and see what would happen. So we did opt to go on strike. Now, I know that's not normally done in um, a liquidation situation. But uh, we got a very good response to the uh, ballot. You know, 97% of our voters voted to go on strike. So just took for, went from there. Um, out of the 900 and something, a kind of Debenhams workers, I know we had concession shops and that as well. Um, 700 and something voted and out of that, 97% voted for strike. So it was very high. The strike officially, I suppose, up to that point, we had been protesting. We had organised a few protests of that ourselves. Um, and then on the 27th of May of last year, um, the official pickets actually started. So, yeah, it was a long, long time. <laughs> I didn't think over 12 months later we'd still be there, but there you go. Michelle describes what it was like on the pickets. One part of it was great because you could still see your ex-workers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, it was great on that part. Also, funnily enough and kind of weirdly enough, it did help us get through the pandemic because you still had kind of a routine. Um, but it was hard also, you know, it was very hard in the sense that, um, it was day after day and the weather, you know, when we came into the winter months, like I will never forget the weather. There was days it was so cold. It was unbelievable, you know, and you were always, um, apprehensive. You were always, you never knew when trucks were going to come or anything like that. So the apprehension was kind of always there. So it, it wouldn't way it was grand and in another way it was very difficult. Some of the demands that the workers sought was for the state through revenue and the local authorities to waive monies owed in favour of paying workers. They also sought that stock still in stores be sold off to pay the workers. So the removal of stock using these trucks was a focus of the protesters and became central to the dispute. When we had gone into negotiations um, with Kevin Foley from the WRs are the labour relations. Um, he kind of had a, a truce, so to speak, uh, included in it, and he had gotten assurances from KPMG that that's um, they wouldn't come to take any um, of the stock until such a time as we had finished our negotiations with him anyway. So I suppose it would. We had done less all through that period, but we were still there because um, I suppose there, was, there wasn't any trust there with us and KPMG, do you know what I mean? And uh, But we weren't there as often over the Christmas period, I suppose. But like we had done overnights, we had we were there on late at night, do you know what I mean? We sat in cars as opposed to being there on our own. We would sit in our car for hours, like, you know what I mean? So... There was a lot, a lot of effort put in, you know what I mean? Now, we took it in shifts, so we'd have a rota and uh, we would do it that way. In September, 
The protest escalated with the decision taken to occupy some of the stores. For many, this was the first time that the Gardaí really became involved in the action. It was also in this month that six workers were arrested under the public health guidelines for their protest on Henry Street in Dublin. Well, they were involved, I suppose, when we first of all did the occupations. That was the first time the guards got involved. And then the next time for us, it was when they had decided they were going to try and take the stock out and put the packaging in. And that was the second time, I suppose, that the guards were really involved. The first one wasn't so bad, although I, was, I suppose when we went in that day and, and, and had the occupation, I suppose when the guards walked in, you kind of went, oh, you know. Now, I have to say they were reasonably pleasant. There wasn't anything, you know what I mean? Um, they weren't nasty in any way or they weren't, you know, they just said like that they had to follow their instructions. Like, And at the end of the day, we weren't really supposed to be in there. So I explained to him, well, that's fair enough, but this is an industrial action and that's the only reason we're here. We were technically locked out of our company. We weren't able to get our um, belongings. Like when we left on the 23rd of May, we never went back. So we were technically locked out of the workplace, if you know what I mean. So um, they took all that on board and when they went that day, that was it. We didn't see them again. But we did what we were supposed to do. We did our um, our social distancing and we always kept the numbers down and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I always informed them before I was going to do them. You know what I mean? Before we did a small protest or whatever. But in Dublin, they seemed to treat them totally different. No matter what they seemed to do, they seemed to go against them, which I thought was very strange. Do you know um, what was different about Dublin to everybody else? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was another thing that I thought was very odd, to be honest with you. Um, even at the very beginning, when we did our very first protest, um, they came over and started citing, you know, the lockdown requirements and uh, took their names. Whereas we all did our protests around the country that day as well. And we didn't have the same um, situation, do you know what I mean? So, and on that particular day of, of our first, um, I think it was our first protest, um, that other protest, um, the anti-maskers, is that what they were called? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were protesting the same day and there was nothing. Do you know what I mean? So you just kind of say to yourself, what was it about the Debenhams workers in Dublin that they had a thing about? You know, so that was all a bit strange as well. It did give me concern at the beginning because, you know what I mean? I was saying, oh my God, you know, we're only trying to protest and they're taking their names and everything. So the next time there was a protest on, you were kind of apprehensive, you know? Now, as I said, I always did contact the Garda station just to let them know that we were going to do it under the circumstances with being the pandemic and all. And uh, thank God they were okay about it. But as I said, I just thought it was a bit strange that they seem to be have a totally different mindset in Dublin about it. Because we did everything right, you know, we had our masks on, we made sure we were socially distant. We were just ex exercising a right, the right to protest, which we were entitled to do regardless. Michelle Byrne of Unite talked to me about what the Garda role should be at such a picket. What I would expect from the guards in those kind of, um, in those incidences would probably just to facilitate safety. If, if there was any safety risks, um, if, for example, our picket was mobile at any stage. Um, you know, at, at certain times we would have walked through the city of Waterford if, if, it, if they were there to facilitate traffic, if they felt that, that was a safety concern. Then that's the kind of role I would see in these kind of disputes. Um, other than that, I find very little reason as to why they would be involved in these disputes. A trade union dispute is between, you know, the employer and the workers. And I feel that that, that relationship is enough. And I think if the guards have to interject in that state, interject in any other way, that isn't, in involving the safety of any of the events that are happening, then I think there might be that kind of question of, well, is that a political interjection? Like, and whose side are they on? And, you know, how do you police two different groups of people who are inherently have very different um, aims as to what the outcome of this official picket is? So I think when it comes to the experiences that we had down in the Waterford picket, I think definitely if it was anything to safety that the guards could be there, but 
outside of that, then I think some of the Garda interactions could have been problematic because, you know, they could be directed from, you know, the KPMG Debenham side of things where they were following, almost felt like they were following directions from them in order to facilitate what they needed from this official picket. But that was being unjust, to, in my opinion, to what the picket actually stood for and how this was an officially recognised picket. It followed the legislation um, of the 1919 Dust Relations Act where, you know, they'd balloted their members, they'd gone out and they've done that. They, uh, it's announced as an official picket. So, you know, to have any other interjections after that that would compromise the fact that it's an official picket then, to me, is not helpful. The Industrial Relations Act 1990 sets out the legal parameters of the right to picket. It's important to note that you have constitutional and human rights to join trade unions and the Act provides protections for those within unions who decide to go on strike or take industrial action. Importantly, some of the protections of the Act provide certain immunities from criminal sanction. So you can't be prosecuted for peaceful pickets if you're in a union as part of that Act. It's a really complicated area of law and we have both the Workplace Relations Commission and the Labour Court in place to resolve industrial disputes. In October of 2020, Debenham's liquidators were granted an injunction by the High Court which prevents unlawful actions and any interference with their attempts to remove stock from the former stores. It meant that former workers who continue to prevent stock from leaving the stores could run the risk of imprisonment despite what the Industrial Relations Act says. For Michelle, this came to a head in May 21, when the stock was removed from the store in Waterford. We were expecting the trucks, but we didn't know exactly when they were going to come. Um, We were doing our picket as normal at that point. We had upped our pickets because they had already hit Henry Street and they had already hit Trilly. So we kind of felt we were imminent because we didn't have... Um, any packaging in there they had never been able to get it in Um, so we were saying you know more than likely they'd hit us soon enough on that day uh, they had arrived later than normal that was the security and KPMG and they left early which was very strange so we were saying God we wonder is something going to happen tonight so as the day went on the guard, the activity increased, which we thought was very strange because normally they'd pass us and they'd wave or beep at us like they were very, you know, they were grand like in that regard. Um, but it seemed to be an awful lot more times they were passing. And as the evening progressed, it looked like they were counting us. So uh, kind of put out uh, on our, we had... Um, a WhatsApp page so I just put it out to all the rest so we said we'd just keep more of an eye so more and more of the picketers came. The stock removals in Dublin and Tralee had already taken place at this point. Over 50 Gardaí had been deployed to remove 30 protesters from Henry Street on the 21st of April. Protesters complained about the rough handling by Gardaí during a peaceful protest. Those who attended the protest had their names taken and a number of protesters were arrested. Numerous politicians were critical at the time that Gardaí had been mobilised to facilitate one party in a lawful dispute. The same occurred in Waterford. About 5 to 12, we said, uh, we wonder, are they going to bother coming at all? Will we call it off? You know, there was about 18 of us there at that point. We said we'd go till half 12 that night. So about... Two minutes later, would you believe it? I walked over to check the door because our side entrance was around the corner from where we used to sit. And uh, here was five men dressed in black walking up the street. So that was it. I knew it was them. So what I did then is we put out a red alert and as many people as possible could come in, did. But unfortunately for us, uh, the guards were very soon afterwards. So what they did is they cordoned off every street that they could which we were kind of shocked at. So at a certain point, nobody else could come in because all the streets were blocked off. Now, when the guards came, I have to be honest with you, we were kind of shocked at the amount um, of of guard vans that arrived. I think there was six. And then when we saw the public order unit, we couldn't believe it. So there was about 40 of us at the end and there was easily 40 of them. 
So I have to be honest with you, we were kind of shocked at the, the level or the volume of Gardaí that was sent down that night. So he did come over and speak to us, uh, the representative, whoever they had chosen. He was from the public order unit and he just explained to us that they had a job to do and they were sorry and that he had the injunction. And I said to him that, well, we hadn't seen that injunction, didn't know anything what was in it. We didn't know anything about it. Um, as far as we were aware, that's supposed to be posted outside each workplace. KPMG hadn't bothered. Uh, none of us had say, seen the contents of it. And he just said, look, it's still there. I have no choice. Um, we have to do our job. And it states quite clearly that uh, KPMG have the right to use the Gardaí if they wish. And that's what they were doing. They were exercising that right. It was just there was an injunction there again. And there was three named people, two of them, unfortunately, were from Waterford. And um, there was one guard from Cork. But in February, unbeknownst to us all, they went back and got it um, added in that if they needed to use the Gardaí to remove stock, etc., that they would be deployed to do so. And that's what they did. So we didn't know about that. And once again, that should have been posted up outside each store. So everybody should know about it. But we didn't get that courtesy. This is a hugely important point that KPMG have been given permission by the courts via the injunction to use the Gardaí in support of removal of the stock. I wasn't aware of this before my interview with Michelle and I'd not heard of it in any other dispute. In trying to research this, I contacted two employment law experts, a company law expert, a solicitor and a barrister, trying to understand this. Is it normal to have it written into an injunction that the Gardaí could be used in support of one side? Is it lawful for this to be done, for the Gardaí to facilitate so overtly one party to an industrial dispute? I have as yet been unable to get answers to these questions. The revised injunction stated... And it is directed that the Commissioner and members of Angarda Síochána shall, pending trial of this action, remove any persons with knowledge of the making of this order from the premises or any other premises where property in which the first name plaintiff claims to have an interest is located, including, for the avoidance of doubt, removing any persons who are obstructing any and all points of access to and from said premises, or interfering with the second or third named parties in carrying out their duties as joint liquidators. The wording is important because the court has directed that, when certain circumstances arise, the Gardaí shall remove people, whether they are in the premises or obstructing the removal of stock. The Gardaí are under a court order to do so, and we might feel that they have no choice. It is worrying that the court will put Gardaí on one side of a lawful dispute, but also before a hearing has occurred and the matter has been formally resolved. But the order also says that the persons being removed must have knowledge of the order. Michelle says they weren't told about it. It was made in their absence and it wasn't posted in shops or where they could see it. In informing the guardie that they hadn't seen it, they were basically telling the guardie that the conditions of the order hadn't been met, meaning that the guardie did not have a basis for enforcement. Ignoring that requirement of the order raises questions as to whether all sides of the situation were being considered by the guardie. I explained that to him. I said, we have never seen that uh, injunction. It's supposed to be posted outside every workplace that KPMG are involved in. And they haven't put it outside one. I said, why? And he couldn't answer that. He did have a copy in his hand, but I said, that's no good to me. I said, that should be posted up on that wall. So I said, you understand, we've been here for over 12 months. At that point, the uh, ballot had gone out for this three million fund we were supposed to get from the government. And I said to him, they could have waited another week and this might be all over anyway. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I don't know anything about that. And he said, I'll, uh, I have to um, do my job, unfortunately. That's how he looked at it, you know. So he said, uh, if you want to go now, we can let anybody that wants to leave. And I said, well, no. I said, we've been here for over 12 months. I said, we're going to sit there. I said, and that's it. Because I said, we've done, you know, we, we're not sitting there for nothing. I said, that stock was our leverage. And I said, we've been here for over 12 months. So I said, I'm sorry, we won't be able to move. So we sat down then at that point. 
they left us there for quite some time, which I was surprised at. I don't know whether he thought we'd, we'd get fed up and get up and leave. I don't know. But um, eventually then he came over and told us that they would have to remove us themselves. And that's what they proceeded to do. They lifted us one by one off the picket line. Those that weren't sitting, they escorted them off. And they put it out. As I said, they had barriers all around where we were sitting. So they escorted us outside the barrier. When the guards arrived that night, the lorries were already there. So we didn't have to wait. Like some of the other stores, um, when they arrived, the lorries were only on the way. But ours were actually there. You know what I mean? By the time the guardie arrived. So they were able to get them in very quickly. And um, they got in their packaging. And at that point... We think they took out the cosmetics and the high-end electrical goods. And that's what they did. I have to say they had it done very quickly. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? But uh, we were outside the cordon. So they just then, when they wanted the lorries to leave, they kind of pushed us back and moved us out of the way. So we really had no no chance once they arrived. That was it. Do you know what I mean? Were you injured during... The removal process? No, I wasn't really. No, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. The worst part was that was sitting there for the length of time I was in. No, but I wasn't. No, they were. Look, I can honestly say they were as respectful as they could be. You know, yeah. there's no point in saying they weren't because they were. You know what I mean? They did move us because they said that's what they were had to do. You know what I mean? I would kind of maybe debate that. You know what I mean? Uh, but they said there was a court order there and they had to follow it. But no, they were very respectful as in, in throughout that night, I will say they were. And I suppose he did just say to us at the beginning that their orders were that those trucks had to win there tonight. And no matter what happened that night, those trucks were going in. That's what he said to us. A quick interruption to ask you, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and rate us and head to patreon.com, find Tortoise Shack, and support us in bringing all of this content to you. It's the price of a cup a month, and you'll get access to versions of the episodes without interruptions like this. And if you're not in a position to support the podcast, we'd appreciate you sharing it with your friends, and you can follow us on Twitter at Policed Podcast. It was was exceptionally wrong, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? And the fact, as I said, KPMG were very underhand when they went back to court. You know, and as I said, we are supposed to have that Everybody that goes into liquidation, if there's an injunction, is supposed to be posted outside the store that you're protesting or striking outside. And again, they didn't do that. And nobody seemed to mind that they didn't do it, you know? Yeah. Like, at least then we would have known, you know, we could have read our injunction and known what was ahead of us, you know, but we didn't get that opportunity. Or even challenged it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was strange, actually, now that I think about it. Go back to ourselves that night, like the level of um, response that night. Like what would they think they were all going to do? We were just, you know, protesting. We were just protecting what we felt and doing what we felt that, you know, we were standing up for ourselves, basically. That's all. And presumably watching what happened to your colleagues in Dublin feels personal in a way. It does, because like... That's one thing that's happened, I suppose, throughout all of this. Like, we've all become quite close, do you know what I mean? Okay, you wouldn't be in contact with each other, but we do to our WhatsApp groups and that. And, you know, we do our Zoom calls and all that. So we would. So, yeah, you have kind of, you know, they're nearly like that. I actually physically worked with them. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. So, yeah, you would. You would have been upset for them, you know. Michelle Byrne, who was present on the night, was not a Debenhams worker, but had knowledge of disputes and had studied policing. And so she talks about what she saw. The first initial time the trucks came and they came late at night, there was a huge uh, community response um, to the point where the truck was blocked on the road um, and diverted away from where they would be able to get stock out of. And the guards didn't really know how to particularly react to that. They were kind of, you know, saying, get off the road, you know, get off the road. And that was about it. There was no, I think it was kind of a new learning um, experience for the police as well in that situation. Um, trying to navigate both the location where we were was quite difficult, but also the response as well. They weren't expecting so many people to be there um, at such short notice within like 15 minutes. It was like 50 people down. So they had maybe planned for a much smaller kind of response of like three people on the picket or whatever. So 
there were definitely t- parts where like the, the guards were caught off the hop. But then the complete contrast then when the second time the trucks came in the middle of the night after a number of different incidences at other pickets in other counties um, where they clearly very much learned from the other examples of what had happened in Dublin or in Tralee where different incidents happened, how the workers responded and they had very meticulously planned in advance how they were going to get those trucks in. They were obviously working with KPMG who were representing Debenhams. They had, um, because it was at the same time that the workers to pack the trucks arrived at the very same time that the guards arrived at the very same time as the truck arrived. So everyone but the workers on the picket had the time of when this event was going to happen. Um, So that was really interesting to see how that was being facilitated by the guards, very pre-planned, very meticulously, um, everyone had a role there, a very specific role, and different police, different different guards had different roles. And for me, having like studied policing, it, to me it was very obvious about like who was the different roles and how this was happening. And I don't think that would be uh, obvious to everyone, maybe who hadn't, particularly a lot of the workers who this would be their first um, campaign, their first kind of dispute, they, like maybe they didn't have that reaction. There was a couple of times where, you know, I was recognising that maybe the guards were talking a lot to some of the supporters and asking them questions. And I said, well, perhaps you don't maybe want, you know, they're gathering intelligence on you on, on you and the what's happening here. And you're not exactly sure how that's going to be used. And at the moment, the policing response is against the dispute. So perhaps maybe you shouldn't give them as many details as you are. And then there was other one, another example when the guards jumped out of um, vans immediately with um barriers and like their role was obviously to kind of close off the area don't let any more supporters in um and man those uh barriered areas in this kind of like this area that had three entry points so there was three entry points completely closed off almost in a fashion that you could call kettling um and then at one stage those barriers were moved closer into uh near where the dispute was happening um so it was it was feeling quite enclosed it was feeling quite kettly um where we were all kind of in one area. No one else was allowed in. Um, we probably would have been allowed out, but at this stage, it was very much um, our priority to be in front of the, the entrance where the stock was going to be removed. But yeah, then there was obviously, there was other um, people who were very obviously the, the police liaison. They were like, right, who's the main person here on this picket that I can talk to? Uh, I'm, I'm the main person to speak to. They were kind of letting them know that their role was, I'm the person who's going to be communicating to you what's happening. I'm going to be asking you to to move. I'm going to be kind of listing the laws. I'm going to be showing the the court injunction and, you know, that kind of police liaison slash managerial role of what was happening. And then as the as hours passed, it became uh, apparent that actually some of the vans that were enclosed in this barriered off area with us actually had a number of public order policing in them that we weren't even aware. They had all driven in at the same time and were actually sitting in wait in this van out of out of eye shot from what was happening so at this stage we thought we were dealing with you know barriers being closed off by guards um a couple of guards who were kind of trying to negotiate and trying to get us to move off the picket without them having to maybe interfere interject in a in a physical way which they did have to um but then suddenly the tone completely changed and um you know there was a whole kind of a, a dialogue conversations happening like look this is the protest this is our official picket you know, we're not planning on moving. And the guards are kind of like, no, how about we do it this way or that way and trying to convince the workers to move. But the minute these two vans pulled back the doors and these these other guards came out with different uniforms, different stance, different, uh, very different feel, immediately the tension rose on the picket. People were kind of crying out like, you know, in shock um, over what was happening. There was about 15, I think, of these police, uh, public order policemen who are police people who had come out of this truck unannounced, who were sitting in wait and marched up towards the workers in twos in a very kind of military style uh, response. And like bearing in mind, um, the, the picket was a lot of older women and retirement. There was a lot of retired men who were coming to support from another union, uh, retired members. Um, and in no way was anyone being in any way aggressive or uh problematic everyone was sitting on the ground interlocking arms very much you know chatting away you know no 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 real uh, there was no negative interactions to feel like that that had to escalate and immediately the tensions rose and immediately it escalated because suddenly you were having these uh, public order police marching towards you when you're saying well this is an official picket we're not doing anything wrong 
um, why why are we getting this response? We have nothing has escalated. We don't understand why you as guards are escalating this. We've talked before with Professor Clifford Stott about the policing of public order incidents and how the police approach can be very determinative of what happens. The guards started to try and pry. So what they had um, done is in twos, they were being directed by one of the um, police ladies and our more managerial um, guards to say, move in twos, right? Two of you guards, you move forward, you take that person. Two of you guards, you move forward, you take that person. And it was in a very strategic, uh, planned way. Um, I was lifted first, and I don't know if that was because they maybe perhaps saw me as a young person, maybe maybe they had intelligence to suggest that I was involved in other protests, and maybe they saw me as an agitator and they wanted me out there first. Um, but I was very much selected as the first person to be lifted off the picket. Um, and I was there in solidarity with the the um, other the mandate members um, as a Unite member. And I was lifted um, by my arms and legs. I had a guard on each limb. I was um, hanging <laughs> hanging ab- above the ground uh, by my limbs and being carried off to one of the behind to one, the, one of the barriers um, where they had closed off. And at one stage, I was dropped, um, and I could hear them saying "regrab, regrab," um, and then. Lo- lift me up and move me behind the barriers. And at this stage, like my top had been lifted up. There was lots of people around. I was also live streaming the whole thing. And I don't know if maybe that was why they saw me as the agitator as well. But all of this was caught on live stream to make sure that, you know, everyone knew what was happening and that we had record of what was happening as well and how this was being policed and what the interactions were happening. So one by one, anyway, the the guards picked off. A lot of the older women were being carried by their arms and legs. There was at one stage, there was a a 70-year-old man who was being carried by his arms and legs. I was just like, it just seemed like such an escalation for what was actually happening here. Like it was a peaceful protest sitting out on the ground. People were linking arms. Um, No one had escalated this this on the ground. And immediately the guards escalated by deciding that, right, we've waited enough time. We're getting the public order police that we've actually brought down for this exact reason. And we've had this very planned out. And by the time everyone was picked out, off the picket and um, at that stage then the guards facilitated the traffic flow so that the trucks could get in uh, the trucks and the workers who were going to be pu- uh, packing that truck were facilitated to get in the guards were holding back the supporters uh, behind barriers and they were very much facilitating a space where we were they were allowing uh, the trucks to go in to to do that um, despite this being official picket and um, so if it wasn't for the introduction of the guards and their decision to essentially at what we, we would see as the, picking the side of KPMG and Debenhams and the, the, the other side of the dispute, if the guards hadn't interjected at that point, the dispute would still be ongoing, like th- that they would have held a peaceful picket uh, safely. Um, so it is interesting to see how, you know, that if you're, if you're talking about policing responses being about facilitating safety, which is what kind of I would say police would be for in those kind of cases, this wasn't about facilitating safety it was made less safe when people were being carried off by their arms and legs um, across to behind a barrier. But obviously they felt that that was a needed response on the basis of what their direction was over this court order. And the, having those conversations with the guards saying, well, why does this court order supersede this official picket? Michelle Gavin reflects on what the guard engagement that night meant for her. Yeah, I have to be honest, Vicky, like um, I have, I know I've probably said it to you, but I married to a retired guard that, and, um, you know, would have had been used to having guards around or being involved in that uh, end of things. But I was shocked myself at the level, you know, I just said, I didn't know what they thought we were going to do. Yes, we were going to stand up for ourselves and fight to the bitter end, but to send down that volume, you know, I, I actually was shocked, to be honest. Yeah. Part of me feels like, you know, yeah, the guards had to do their job. That's how they felt. And part of me feels, well, no, you didn't actually really have to show up. You know what I mean? This is a strike. We, we, we weren't doing anything. We were protesting. We were striking legally. It was a legal strike. Do you know what I mean? It was an official strike and we weren't doing anything wrong. This statement by guards that they're just doing their job is something to be unpicked a bit more. Michelle Byrne has a huge problem with the injunction. The idea of the court order that they were quoting as to why the members of the picket were being removed forcibly um, being lifted um, was to facilitate the truck drivers who are being paid by KPMG and uh, Debenhams to get to get in to get the stock. But to me, that's that's a position. They've taken a position against the workers um, on the base of this court order. And 
like I remember asking the guards at the time and like how can you step over this official picket we've gone through we followed the law we've you know we've balloted the members we've done everything that you're supposed to do for an official picket but yet you're saying that you know you're going to implement this court order that the people were picketing against have just gone off and got that completely supersedes the idea that we have an official picket here and you're just going to facilitate that so I think it is a bit problematic and I think there was also a couple of other kind of problematic um, things that happened as well throughout um, the picket and some of those things were around you know the first time the trucks came and it was really in one of the highest parts of the lockdown Um, you know non-essential work was we weren't supposed to be doing any non-essential work the shops weren't open and there was travel restrictions in Um, yet the trucks that were arriving would have northern regs on them and they'd clearly traveled and packing up stock that's in dispute um, at a time when shops aren't even open definitely to me was non-essential work and these questions were posed to the guards at the time but yet they were kind of overlooking those those pieces so even though we were interjecting saying well if you're going to try and police us on this picket um, to not to, to allow these trucks through then why aren't you also policing them um, on those rules that are in place at the moment under the emergency powers so it was really from a trade union perspective you could see already that whether it was the biases of the, the guards that were there on, on, on the ground with us at the time or whatever the instructions are coming from above, that there was decisions being made as to how they were allowing people to facilitate things and there was discretion being used as to what way they were implementing the emergency powers laws and whether they were kind of looking at the laws around the Industrial Relations Act and um, you know actually recognising the picket. Um, so I think from a trade union perspective, you can see like the more the guards are kind of involved with disputes like this, the more questions come up that are a bit more problematic as to like, whose side are you on? Are you facilitating the peace or are you facilitating something more here? Are you facilitating someone else's interests? Um, in this case, it was, you know, KPMG and Debenhams. Um, they're the people who want to get the stock out for profit making. And, you know, then there's that whole idea of like, well, you know, are the guards then an arm of capitalism? Are they just going to kind of, facilitate people with money um the people with the big money people who have are driven by profit and business um rather than actually supporting the workers who are being unjustly done um and unjustly um put out of what they were deserved what was negotiated with those uh with those groups of people and before all of this happened so it is interesting because you, you like to me that is making political decisions and how they police these pickets so for me like from a trade union perspective as someone who's you know just a lay member on these pickets facilitating safety keeping the peace is obviously what what people say but to be honest we were seeing a lot more of that there was definitely political decisions being made and you know you could say you know guardians of guardians of the peace but sometimes what we were seeing was maybe more guardians of capitalism and you know where were they protecting the workers in that we all have rights to engage in lawful assembly we have rights to participate in industrial action. For the police of any state to be given effectively as protectors to one side of that dispute is deeply problematic. One could even argue that the Guardi could have questioned the court order at the time, stating that it created a conflict for them in their legal obligations to enforce, uphold and protect the rights of those striking. Michelle Byrne's argument that these were the acts of guardians of capitalism will resonate with those who have followed previous issues in Ireland. It takes me back considerably to the policing of the Shelter Sea movement. Although not an industrial dispute, we can see how quickly and easily protesters were arrested and criminalised. And yet repeated and well-documented breaches of the law by Shell, whether planning laws or environmental laws concerning pollution, were not policed and enforced. It may remind others of the police role in the evictions on North Frederick Street in 2018, where tenants claimed that their rights had been violated and still the Gardaí assisted with the evictions. And when people see this, it has broader consequences for trade unionism beyond just this dispute. I think it shows the people who are in the dispute with workers um, that they can actually use mechanisms of the law um, to for their benefit. Like, for example, um, on the pickets, when the trucks were arriving to remove stock, the guards were in communication with the truck drivers who were pulling up and they were facilitating them. They would organised in advance what time they were arriving at and they had a plan as to how they were getting in and out. Um, so it was very much they were in communication with the truck drivers who were being paid by KPMG and Debenhams. 
to actually just facilitate that. So to me, that more looks like, you know, you're being you're paying a kind of a private security firm to facilitate the removal of stock. That to me is really concerning because if, you know, in any kind of dispute, like to have that amount of power on your side, then already has already the the kind of the things are stacked up against you when you're a worker up against your boss a lot of the time as it is because the power is with the boss. When you're adding extra powers, such as the Gardaí to be able to facilitate those industrial relations disputes as well like that that's really difficult and I think it'll be difficult for people to and I, I, th- I think it's also inspired people um, in one way where they're like well look we, we've seen what can happen here we know that where the issues are and it's highlighted some of the issues in policing and I think people have become more engaged with that conversation but it does highlight issues as well as to like how how can we as workers when we've already got so much power stacked up against us when we're going into disputes actually Actually, you, how do how do we interact with the guards then in those scenarios when we know they're already on the other side? And how how do they protect us? David Beatham, a political theorist, has written a lot about what makes the use of power legitimate. And he identifies three conditions for legitimate use of power. First, the power must be used in accordance with established laws. Second, those laws must be justifiable by reference to beliefs shared by both the dominant and subordinate groups. And third, the subordinate must consent in some way. There's no question that not everyone will be able to agree on all shared beliefs, but when the use of power leads some to question whether democratic values and the rights of all are being protected, then the legitimacy of the use of power will come into play. And for many, the legitimacy of the Gardaí came into question through the policing of this dispute, whether they did wrong or whether they were used inappropriately by the state. And for others who may not question the police in this way, seeing Gardaí make arrests and so on may have generated a belief that the workers were in the wrong, a power of pronouncement which the Gardaí hold. You know, the media will report incidences in a different way and often you'll see loads of pictures of guards and the minute you see pictures of lots of guards, you're like, oh, someone's been bad, someone's in trouble, so the guards are out. So immediately that kind of portrayal of the workers has been like on the wrong side of the fence was, yeah, it was definitely a very unfair um media portrayal if that was the case. Michelle Gavin sees that the Guardian may have been put in this position and that there are much bigger consequences to that. I will say also I think it's very wrong of the government to allow the guards to be involved in that way uh, because they have kind of put them they put them in a position they didn't need to be in I think you know and it also in my opinion it left the fact then that KPMG didn't have to really negotiate with us because they never really did. There was no real negotiations with them, you know. And if they had sat down and negotiated like you were doing a normal uh, strike, it could have been over a lot sooner than it was maybe, you know. So the government had to take responsibility as well, I feel. You know, they can use the court and, and try and hide behind it. This is a court order and this is a liquidation and we can't get involved but you can really. We were told that um, a liquidation is done to the courts and therefore the government can't get involved, right? So to me, they hid behind that fact. Yeah. But yet the guards, which is a state body, were allowed to be used in an injunction. So they're saying on one hand they can't get involved and on the other hand, one of their state organisations are allowed. So which one is it? You know, it was so unnecessary. Like, you know, as I said, negotiations. Most people negotiate when they're on strike. You know, now I know we were in a different situation. The company was technically gone. I understand that. You know, not like other people, if they're on strike, their companies are still there and you negotiate with them. But at the end of the day, the liquidator took over, so he should have shown us the courtesy and at least sat down and, and negotiated with us. As a worker, she connected this to the Guard's own struggle to achieve union status. Currently, Guardi in Ireland are not permitted to unionise, though they are calling for that status. This is why in the past we've had blue flus rather than police strikes. With the Guardi, uh, they have a representative body rather than a union because they're not allowed, I think. Um and I know they're fighting to become unionised. So I kind of just felt maybe, you know, you're fighting to join a union. I'm standing up for myself because I'm in the union. 
could they not have taken that on board? I know he kept saying it was a court order and they had to follow their instructions. But I don't know. I think maybe in light of the fact that this is the road they want to go down themselves to stand up for themselves, could they not understand? We were doing the same thing. Part of this is about the state of our employment law and our rights. And Michelle hopes that this will be addressed going forward so that others aren't subject to what they were subjected to. I suppose like a lot of other people, I worked with Devlin's for so long, or between Roaches and Devlin's. And I suppose I just got on with my day-to-day life and did all my bits and pieces. And I, I knew about Cleary's, but I didn't know what came after it. So to me, that's kind of a failing as well on the union. You know, if more workers were aware that they didn't do what they were supposed to do after Cleary's, it might have helped us. Like, I know now nothing will ever help us in that regard because it's done and dusted. But it might help others now if that law is put into it, like what the Duffy Cal report recommended. You know, I understand we need business in the country. I do understand that. But I firmly believe that you have to have a balance, a happy medium. And we don't have that in this country at the minute. And unfortunately, there's other companies like Debenhams Debenhams was owned by a vulture fund. It wasn't owned by a family. It wasn't a family business. That vulture fund was the second time they were bought by a vulture fund. And they were just going to bleed it for what was left in it. So they didn't care about me or anybody else. And at least if the government had implemented what was recommended by the Duffy Cal, I would have had some protection. I still mightn't have got my two plus two, but I would have had more protection, which is what I didn't get. But it's also about the police role and how the guards are used in such disputes. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair on us. It wasn't fair on them either. From speaking to both Michelles, I have even bigger questions about the policing of such disputes than I had previously. Listening to a worker describe being let go by email after 27 years service and then offered half the redundancy pay that had been negotiated five years previously only to see the police of the state used in support of your employer is very disconcerting. I say that as someone who sleeps pretty soundly in the security of my job, but we should all be concerned when the enforcement of rights seems partisan. We need to question the courts awarding police enforcement powers to one side of a dispute without the other side even getting a chance to challenge that in any way. Should the guardie be used in that way? But we also need to question why the Gardaí did not seem to satisfy themselves that all the conditions of the order had been met before enforcing it. We've been asked by a number of people to cover the policing of this dispute and so we're very grateful to Michelle Gavin for sharing one worker's perspective and to Michelle Byrne for speaking about it from a trade union point of view. As ever, thanks to you the listeners and Tony Groves and Brian Agrews ahead for producing this.